Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, it is our 200th show. 200 episodes. Phew. I'm exhausted. But nope, I ain't stopping. I still have another season to tackle here. And Matthew and I are going to do it. And we are going to see this through. And then after that, we're going to go on for another 200 episodes talking about what I have no idea. But we can talk about this week's episode. Here we welcome back Dominic Rothbard. You recall he was here last week for part one of this two-parter. Dominic is the creative force behind the Facts of Facts podcast, which is the other Facts of Life rewatch podcast that you can find out there and listen to. And we invited him on because we knew he was a super fan and we knew it would be a nice special way to start ringing in season nine. So after last week's cliffhanger, we are back with the exciting conclusion. And I say, let's get to it. We watched season nine, episode two, down and Out in Malibu, Part 2, which had an original air date of October 3rd, 1987. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Dominic Rothbard. Dominic Rothbard, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's been too long. How has your week been since we last talked to you uh, a week ago oh man so much has happened i'm wearing the same shirt i haven't showered it's been crazy <laughs> is your jock strap nice and starchy after the week because my jock strap is just as starchy as starch could be because i haven't i haven't washed it since the last time we spoke in honor of in, in hopes that you might find me as interesting as the wonderful Richard Mole. I mean, I do find you very interesting. And yes, please um, present your jockstrap to me <laughs> on, uh, on camera. And, uh, and let's just see where it goes from there. Matthew just snarfed. <laughs> I like this guy. Wow. It's it's always it's part of my character on the podcast to shamelessly hit on so, every man that we have as a guest. So oh, so I'm not special at all. No, you well, obviously you I, was, are. I was good. I was good. I was about to go change into my jock strap, but if you no, you're the only one that has responded in such a positive light, though. Oh well, <laughs> which warms my heart. Now I don't know what to do. God, you're <laughs> obsessed with me. Get shut up. Uh, and it's, it's still early. Oh my. I'm being filmed through my favorite filter on Zoom. It's called Navajo Blanket. <laughs> uh, I wonder if uh, is your basement flooded the way uh, Richard Mulls is? <laughs> no, but my butthole lips look like a hurricane hit it, like Richard Mulls' apartment does for some reason. <laughs> I, look like I, I look like I sat on a hand grenade. <laughs> Jesus. Ugh. When did okay? Wow. 
It looks like an Arby's roast beef sandwich back there. (laughs) (laughs) This is where you decided to go. So you were like, all right. So I, I, I flirted with you and now I don't know where to go. So I am going to now make my butthole seem as nightmarish as possible. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a buyer beware kind of gal, I think, if, you know. <laughs> so, you know. I, I, I didn't know. We can't talk about anything that's going to outdo the entertainment value of this. Oh, my goodness. Anyhow. Uh. Glad, glad we've had this week to rest and refresh ourselves before we jump back into it. And uh, yeah, okay, people, it's in the same fucking night, of course, obviously. Uh, uh, we this is a very big, this is a momentous occasion, Dominic, and you are here for it. This is our two hundredth episode of Let's Face oh, wow. the Facts. Happy 200th, guys. It just so coincided mm-hmm. with while well, we have you here. And what what better to do on a 200th episode than to do a crossover with a sister podcast such as your own, The Wonderful The Facts of Facts. So happy to have you here to celebrate that with us. Well, I am honored to be here. Um, and and uh, and I'm so glad that we got all the jockstrap talk out of the way so that we can... <laughs> Now talk about wholesome things like 200 episodes. That's really quite an achievement. I'm impressed. Do you know what you're going to do with your life in after uh, another, what is what has he got, 22 weeks? 24. Um, well, well, after well, this, 22. You're right, 22 after this. Correct. I know math. <laughs> See, we're actors. We like, <laughs> but um Oh, oh, we've we've been uh, we've been it, we've been agonizing over this for the longest time, and we still have no fucking clue what we're gonna do. We want to keep going, we want to keep doing a show, but we're like, there is no show that we like as much as the facts of life that means as much to us as the mm-hmm. facts of life. And we're like, we don't want to just do a show for the sake of doing a show. This has been a slog getting through seasons eight and nine. I mean, what we got coming down the pike. And we love this show. It's going to suck a lot of weeks. Mm. Fair warning, listeners. I li- I like this era. I think it's just so batshit crazy. It's they they are just so tired and done and the and, and just conceptually the show makes no more sense. Like yeah. it didn't make much sense when they had like a millionaire living with you. But like, you know, all right, you know, you go to college whatever. What are you doing now? But I love it. I, I want them to continue living together forever. I'm okay with it. I agree. I agree. It's it's reboot the that shit. Let's get season ten going. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be fun? But not that Todd Bridges shit where where Tootie and Willis are married. Fuck that. You ever heard this? Yeah. Oh yeah. no. <clears throat> yeah. Please I tell me about this. It. I'm a big Big Brother fan, so Todd Bridges was on Celebrity Big Brother this year, and I uh, have a newfound. Uh, uh, awareness and interest and, and support. He was on my side. I was rooting for him. Oh, okay. um, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, please tell me what is, when did he say this? Why did he say this? Where did within he say the it? last like six months or so, he was saying that he had already pitched some type of a, a new sitcom and it would be Willis and Tootie are married and it would be a family show type of, and it's like, that that is not canon. Tootie married Jeff. Tootie married Jeff. They had a daughter. Jeff died. This would have to be a second marriage. 
Well, yeah, Jeff died because he was he was trying to pour some salad dressing on his salad, but it turned out it was rat poison because he can't read <laughs> labels of foods. We never speculated that. Oh my god, that Look, is that's genius. why they to hire us to write it. They oh, but. I always say we're sending our notes back in the time machine. These writers are going to get volumes and volumes of notes on every episode. And I'm not trying to throw another um, 10 minutes on here, but Dominic, yes, we know that Jeff doesn't know how to read, but he comes back in season eight as a microbiologist. So I hate to blow your theory to hell, but they've already blown that theory to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like you don't think that there's other kids doing his microbiology homework because he is the coolest guy in school. He's also he has a system in place. He's just also like this rich nerd that shows up in these seasons where and he, he has no, a I, rem- I remember I've never liked Jeff. I've always thought that Jeff was not good enough for our tootie. Meanwhile, oh. met Snake and I was like, I love you. Snake and Natalie destined to be together. Really? You're a Robert Romanus fan. I mean, like, I just I'm a Snake fan. I don't I okay, think well, I mean, who Natalie, is it? <laughs> I but, think nice. Uh, I think Natalie and Snake were meant to be together. I think they've got a cool, casual vibe, and I like them. Whereas, meanwhile, I feel like Jeff makes Tootie do weird things, like be on the phone all the time and not kiss her co-stars, and yeah. and he yelled at her. And I don't like in the the reading episode. So I I've never seen Snake yell at Natalie. I've seen Snake be weirdly calm and supportive at just about every step, unless there's an episode that I'm forgetting. Cause I have not uh, devoured the snake years yet. Um, at this uh, we haven't met him yet. No, he's coming up in season nine. A lot is happening in the future here, but I'm my thing with Robert Romanus is, uh, you know, between the fast times at Ridgemont High and the buildup to this snake guy, how Natalie refers to him. He's kind of, you know, like the Alan Brady of the show throughout season this is not eight. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And uh, uh, but but then when we meet him, I'm just like, maybe it's just me again. Wrong type, because, you know, I'm I'm like, OK, you're into Richard Mall. Cool. I don't find Robert Romanus in any way, shape or form fuckable. In oh, the me least. neither. Not at all. I don't. I don't want to have sex with him at all. I want Natalie to have sex with him all the time because she seemed to really enjoy it that one time she did. So I'm just yeah. supportive of their relationship. <laughs> Meanwhile, I want to have sex with Richard Mull. Yes. Oh, okay. Separate, separate well, issue. For the record, as long as it is stated here, Your Honor, jury, rest our case. Wow. So speaking of Richard Mull, let's bring it on back. Episode right. 200 of this show is actually season nine, episode two of The Facts of Life, Down and Out in Malibu, part two. Original air date, October 3rd, 1987. And as I said last week, this was originally broadcast in two parts. It was never a one hour episode. This half was written by Ross Brown. Ross Brown is a producer on the show starting this season, and he will produce all episodes uh, of season nine. And when I say he he's listed as one of the producers, he's not the only producer. As a writer, this is number five of seven shows. And uh, the next two that he will write that will complete the seven shows is the first time when Natalie loses nice. her virginity. 
mm-hmm. and till marriage do us part. When Joe gets married. Same. So uh, those are both pretty big episodes. Now, previously, he wrote uh, The Ratings Game, Wedding Day, Right and Wrong, and This is Only a Test. Those are all eh. Which is This is Only a Test? Uh, this is Only a Test is the one where Blair has to study for six weeks worth of LSATs to do law school. Yes. And uh, like that's that a recent episode. Eh. Eh. But, uh, but the episode was directed by John Boab, our old, faithful, old, reliable. The new Azad Kalada. Yes, exactly. The new Assad. Yes. Um, so before we get into actually our breakdown of the episode, uh, I do plan to put you on the spot to synopsize. But uh, last week we talked about your connection to the facts of life, Dominic. I, I want to take the opportunity to actually get to know you a little bit because we really don't know you. We, we met on this Zoom call and only communicated briefly uh, over, over sliding into each other's DMs on the Instagram. Damn. So uh, would you be... Uh, so kind as to give us a little rundown of kind of where were you born? Uh, what got you to Los Angeles? And are you primarily a writer by trade? I'm, I'm just curious, what what is your profession? I don't even know fully how you earn a living. So go, give me the whole Dominic 101. All right. Um, yeah, I grew up in New York, Long Island, to be specific. Oh. Um, uh, yes. Uh, I, um, let's see, I, uh, always had a love of music. I was in bands a lot, um, worked at a bunch of record stores. I have a best friend, uh, who I've had since high school, who is my writing partner. So we, um, got our start in high school. We wrote a, uh, we wrote a, uh, uh, TV movie of the week for our fiction class. Um, called Blood on the Dance Floor, colon, a thriller, where Michael Jackson was murdered on the set of the Pepsi commercial where his hair got caught on fire. And it was a whodunit told Rashomon style with all of the Jackson 5 and the Jackson ladies as well being suspects. And we had so much fun writing that. We decided we wanted to do it professionally. Um, I started working on uh, the Ricky Lake show. And um, that was a terrible, terrible job, terrible place to work. Oh no. Um, okay. She Continue. was fine, but it was like, the job was like breaking up marriages professionally. Like I was on a team that we would do something called Ricky's angels, where r- these women would go to clubs to seduce your man, to see if you would be a cheater. Um, yeah. And sometimes Ricky's angels would sleep with the men. And it was really dark and uh, I felt terrible about it. So I quit in a big huff and the accountant at that show was also the accountant for Whoopi Goldberg's sitcom Whoopi. And she knew that I had the desires to be a writer and she was impressed that I quit over the reasons that I quit. And she was like, you know, I can, I can hook you up with a job. And I got a job working um, in the, uh, as a writer's PA on a sitcom in New York, which is so rare. It was because there's like always like one, maybe two sitcoms in New York. And I loved every single thing about it. I'd always loved TV and I got my best friend a job. And then we ended up working with Amy Sherman Palladino and Noah Hawley and then moving out to LA uh, where I actually lived in Noah Hawley's house for a year, which is very exciting. Oh, um, wow. 
he wasn't there. Did you leave the hot tub on? Did you flood the place and have to try to hire a contractor to see if you could fix it and he wouldn't notice? Really? That's what you ask? Did you find a starchy jock strap? <laughs> I did honestly set the place on fire with a barbecue. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> we fixed it. We got it covered. Uh, he doesn't know. And if he doesn't watch this podcast, hopefully he doesn't. Then uh, we'll. I promise there. you, he doesn't. <laughs> okay. okay, so um, mum's the word. Listeners are tens of listeners. You are sworn to secrecy. And, and um, the tens of listeners of Dominic's show that have also tuned in, you are sworn to secrecy. Uh, yeah, well, uh, so anyway, um, I ended up working for him on a couple of shows, and then Amy Sherman Palladino again, going back and forth. And um, I've been, I had my own pilot uh, for ABC Family, which was a dream come true. Uh, didn't get picked up, which was mm. a living nightmare. And um, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it was, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I do that. I recently did a Netflix show called Alexa and Katie. Um, got an Emmy nomination for that, uh, which is extremely exciting. Oh, and that must that must hurt to see mine over my shoulder, Ben. I'm it sorry. It does. It does. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and uh, now I um, I'm developing my own thing with my writing partner still, uh, and that's about that. That's how I make a living, and then I hook on the side just in case. Uh, mm-hmm. oh. Girl, tell me about it. That's Hollywood, isn't it? Oh, tell me about <laughs> it's it. It's true. Didn't oh. Joe said something really good that I didn't put? It was like uh, it was like humiliation pays really well in Hollywood or something like that. And I was like, yeah, it sure does. She spoke mm. the truth in that line. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's what I do. I love snack foods and I eat a lot of garbage. And um, reach. That's me. And you have a cat. I have a cat. His name's Greg. He's somewhere in this room. He's Greg. Matthew mm-hmm. has Judy Garland. And nice. uh, uh, I don't have any pets. So, well, cool. Thank you for that travelogue. Do you do you perform at all? Have you performed at all? I'm uh, just my only fans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and that uh, would be what address? <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I'm actually pretty camera shy. I've been forced to be an extra in a bunch of Amy Sherman Palladino things. Um, just oh, those old things. Really- oh, Amy, that shit that Amy cranks out. Yeah. Uh, just because she finds it funny that I get very camera shy. Um, and then I'm supposed to get killed in a horror movie sometime later on this year. A friend oh. of mine is like an indie director. So that might happen, which I'm nervous about, but hopefully I won't. Um, have to say much, but no, I'm not much of a performer. No. Okay. No, I've, I've seen your only fans. Um, I think just laying there screaming is, is one of your, one of your finer traits. Thank you. I like, I like the videos where I eat Doritos and cry in my underwear. I feel like those are getting the most traction. Those are the ones I relate to most actually. So let's get to it, boys. Oh my God, please. We are going to be here all night, and I am on board. This is so much fun. Jesus. Uh, but we do need, we do have a task we have to finish here. So this is it. You, you remember from last week, Dominic, what we did. We put you on the spot and asked you if you would please provide a one to two sentence TV guide synopsis of the episode. Well, could you please 
bring this to the rousing conclusion after that spine-chilling, bone-tingling cliffhanger we had to withstand last week. Go! The girls face severe consequences after flooding Richard Mall's home. That's it. I think that's all I got. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That's it. That's beautiful. That's all it needs to be. See, I wrote down the girls face no consequences for having <laughs> flooded Richard Mall's apartment. I mean, they're they kind of in prison. Us. They get off scot free. They do. Well, no, five hundred dollars. I mean, <laughs> and you know, Blair's just gonna fucking reach into her pocket and hand him a five hundred dollar bill. Yeah, Man. but what insurance company is gonna be like? I'm gonna cover one hundred and twenty-two thousand five hundred dollars worth of damages, but that last five hundred, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what policy did Richard Mall buy? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm going to reach that decision 24 hours after the accident happens. That's the other thing. It's like, wow, not only must that be an expensive policy, but he must have paid extra for the fast pass insurance adjuster track or something. I, I don't know. He paid he paid for an insurance adjuster to have that bell hair that half of the women have on this show. This oh, season. my God. The bell bell hair. I've never thought of calling it that. <gasps> yeah. Tootie's had yeah. bell hair for some time. Oh my mm -hmm. god! You're Natalie looks like a bell, and this insurance adjuster looks like the like the Liberty Bell. Like it's the biggest of all yeah. of the bells. It's all about that that blunt cut. It's all about that. Yeah, you're totally and, right. And it's like it's like a cross section. Like it's like they slice the bell in half because the hair comes forms like these wings around the head, <laughs> sort of like protective, like the sides of a bell. It's hard to describe, but. It is uh, it is unique to this show. I really don't see that bell hair too much elsewhere. And and well, you shouldn't. Let's let's keep it here where it belongs. Um, the girls are showing how stupid they are by trying to clean this up with paper towels. Well, I, I, I mean, really, you sent me a screen grab of Beverly Ann holding the two rolls of paper towels, clearly looking like her bare tits. Yes, you, I did. You texted me that, Dominic, and said, I forgot how crazy this episode was. It's like, yeah, you know, Cloris totally planned that, that she knew what she was doing. Oh, yeah. She was like, look at, look at my paper towel boobies. I'm trying <laughs> to mine some comedy out of this awful episode. Maybe you'll. <laughs> um, no, there is. There is. I might get my first laugh, um, like my first true laugh. Uh, doesn't come until the beginning of this episode. And then I think my only other one is also in this episode. Um, that where I like actually was like chuckling for some time, which was um, when uh, the flower delivery comes and Joe goes, I hope it's a bilge pump. <laughs> so, <laughs> so stupid specific. And like, yeah, I guess Joe would know what a bilge pump is. So I can't get mad at like the writers for giving it to her. But like, I know the audience is not thinking about it. I, that made me laugh. I liked it because I was not expecting it. I laughed anyway. when Beverly Ann was trying to help clean up and is doing her fussy Cloris Leachman talk and tries to wipe the front of one of the paintings and just smears it. Because this is actually, we didn't talk about this last week. This is a very uh, tastefully appointed home. They didn't go too crazy with it. It's not too crazy 80s. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's awesome. Peak. 
It's got some peach uh, accent pillows. There's a little bit of peach going on. That kind of is what is the giveaway there of the time period. But for the most part, it's like, okay, I, yeah, this is a home. It's not too like really overly masculine. And, uh, but no, I thought, I thought the home was actually quite nice. He has a piano. I wonder if he actually plays or if that was just a prop. If they, if, if it was like Richard, could, what, what would your house look like? Yeah, Septic just made a complete recreation of Richard Mull's actual house <laughs> just for authenticity's sake. It was in his contract that if they were going to do that, they were going to have to do an absolute uh, scale model replica. I play piano, goddammit. <laughs> um, how creepy was the note that Paul left with the flowers? It was, what? I'll do anything if you live with me. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll kill myself if you don't, I think is what he wrote on the back, but... Uh, they didn't read that. I think it was cut in syndication. I think it was, was so dark. It was written in magazine letters. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you saw it when she turned it. It was <laughs> so uh-huh. uh, early on in this episode. They begin with the "We're in so much trouble," and they frequently refer to the fact that Richard Mall could snap them in two. They could, you know, snap them like a twig and this and that. There is a, a regular and consistent reference that Richard Mall poses a physical threat to them. Yeah, they say he's big, he's ugly, and he is murderous. They, every chance they can, they insult my dreamboat. Yeah, but I mean, is he? Do you ever get that other than his size? I never, ever got the sense. He he said a couple of things. And at the end, the sort of punchline was, oh, my God, Mr. Malt, thank you. You're being so nice. And he's like, yeah, well, I play such a teddy bear on TV. I thought it would be a chance to really play up, you know, a different thing, you know, pretend to be the bad guy. And it's like, this is pretending to be. I, I never got a sense that there wasn't a lot of, okay, I'm a celebrity playing myself, so I can't do anything too crazy kind of a yeah, thing no. you know what i'm he saying was, he was very reasonable he was way more reasonable than like say tootie was when she refused to leave the premises oh mm. yeah we'll get to that though we'll we'll get to that yeah but let's talk about rusty coleman who is the actor that plays the delivery boy please for 45 minutes i'm going to talk about him and his career no i'm not i promise he only has four acting credits in fact oh thank god Starting in the 1990s, he moved into directing, and he is listed as the first assistant director for multiple episodes of several series, including Sabrina, The Parkers, Till Death, Happily Divorced, The Exes, The 2016 Odd Couple, and iCarly, as recently as 2021. So he's still out there, still working. He's behind the camera now. The best shows. Yeah, the finest so it's at this point that Blair says, maybe we can fix the place without Richard Mall finding out. And even Beverly Ann's like, yeah, well, we could at least call a contractor and get an estimate. I mean, God bless TV. Talk about the most fictional of all fictionalizations. However long Richard Mall is gone, ain't no contractor anywhere, not even in 1987. That could not do the work. A magic like Harry Potter couldn't do this. No, absolutely. Contra- construction takes for fucking ever. It's the worst. Construction is the goddamn worst. It's just hell. I've experienced well, it. I mean, they don't even try to go for somebody fast. They don't go for like Speedy Sam. They go for Budget Bob. 
Budget Bob. Did you say Budget Bob? You mean the actor Clyde Kusatsu? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Clyde Kusatsu is a Hawaiian-born actor of Japanese descent. He is still alive. He will be 74 next month. He is still working. Gentlemen, he has 310 credits in an over 50-year career. He does look familiar. I mean, he's been in everything. And since 2013, he has served as the national vice president of SAG-AFTRA Los Angeles Local. Oh, look at that. So, yeah, he's a big deal. Now you have something to talk to him about next time you see him, Dominic. All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it up at the meeting. Yeah, he's in L.A. Do you know him? Yeah. Yeah, Budget Bob. Of course, Budget Bob. <laughs> what everybody calls him from this iconic role. Yeah. So Budget Bob gives his estimate, and this is where we get the first tootie, how shall I say, black joke. And do, do, do you want, do, shall I interpret it or do you, gentlemen, do you want to? I, I don't feel like you need to interpret it, David, as much as, as much as you might think. You could just say the line. <laughs> when he hands the piece of paper to Joe with the estimate, Joe says, I can't look at it. As Tootie oh. grabs it, she says, Joe, we will work hard to pay it off, whatever it is. And she opens it up and Tootie says, sweet Lord above, it's back to slavery. And then Natalie, let's, okay, that's the black joke, comes a Jewish joke. Natalie, is this an estimate or your social security number? Ha-ha! That's right. And uh, Joe also um, makes like a prostitution joke. Like, she'll sell parts of her body for this. Yeah, including her foot, since she hasn't been getting much use out of that. That was actually a good integration of this uh, imposed foot situation on the episode. Um, also, we got more score just to say this show, this episode could have been a half hour because if you were to take out the montage, you were to take out the pan when Bull comes into the police station and you were to take out Budget Bob surveying the place with the score again, I feel like you'd have a 30 minute episode. You'd oh. be you'd be home free. Totally. And I'd say cut more shit and keep the montage in because if that montage goes, I go. I'm just, yeah, that's, I, that's I, going to I'm, the not, notes. I'm not looking to cut the montage. I'm just saying it didn't. Yeah, it was, it was not integral to the plot line. It was uh, long is really what I meant. <clears throat> so the, the bid that he has given them is $123,000. Blair thinks it's going to be like 15, yeah. $123,000 in 2022 dollars. Gentlemen, would you like to guess how much that's worth? $800,000. Matthew. $313,000. You Google that shit. How dare you? <laughs> it's exactly 313. You fucking Googled it. He's got really good internet. My boyfriend has shitty internet. Otherwise, no, it, I would have been on top of that. It was in my notes. I had it in my notes. Okay, but. I did. $313,000. And he says, hey, they don't call me budget Bob for nothing. So apparently this is like... It's kind of that you're not going to get a better price, ladies. So anyway, um, before they have a chance to figure out what the fuck they're going to do, ding dong, it's Paul. And so oh, he gets... Beverly Ann says she doesn't want to get hornswoggled and tells Budget Bob to go cock himself. Are we going to just... Oh, oh my God, I totally forgot that. She says you can take your... What is it? You can take your something or other and go cock yourself. I totally forgot. How do you get away with that? that? 
I want to see the bloopers of her trying to get through that without saying <laughs> cock. Um, also, I, I did laugh at this. This was a performance thing, but when um, everybody is like taking responsibility for this, yes. then Beverly Ann goes, actually, I haven't done anything wrong. I genuinely <laughs> laughed at that. That was I great. Agree. I agree. It's like, well, I could have turned the tub off. Well, I could have made sure you did. Joe's like, well, it's my fault. I should have been taking better care of the house. And Beverly Ann says, I did nothing wrong. Actually, I have done nothing wrong. She could have walked out the door scot-free and no one could have fought her on it. I would have loved yes. it. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. But yes, now douchebag Paul is back. Doing yeah, Paul career. is back. So um, he gets introduced to the girls uh, and so I, I don't know. This is the point where he says, well, your cast got wet. I'm taking you to the doctor. And Joe's like, no, forget about it. And he's like, no, you have to get used to someone taking care of you. And he picks her up and romantically carries her out the door. And it's all <laughs> perfect time to get a big three camera sitcom. Joe, he tries to pick her up and goes, well, maybe just lean on me, <laughs> you know, or something. <laughs> But um, Joe, Joe is a damsel in distress. I okay. Yeah, it's tough. She did resist him. She was trying, and it was it was somebody. It was that thing of girl. I know you're tough. You also got to let me in. That didn't of all the things that bothered me about these shows. This was not the the, the most offensive to me. Um, I did enjoy how Paul gave two shits about this uh, flood. He just like walks in and Joe's like, I'll explain later. And he's like, okay. Mm. He's holding like, feet of water. He's like, I, I got some lily pad jokes I can make. I, okay. I, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead from my next point that I want to make in that the audience and the audience reactions when we get introduced later to the insurance adjuster, Cindy Garver, played by the wonderful Nancy Everhard, uh, when Paul is like, oh, Cindy, and she's like, oh, Paul, and the audience is like, oh, it's like he knows another person who has a vagina. What is happening? They just... He knows insurance adjusters. Maybe he set this flood. This is all part of his scam. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were thinking. But, but there no, was this I, immediate inference. And it's true. Joe did earlier say, you know, you were seeing other women. So we know that this guy is, is you know, a himbo, as it were. So it's like, you know, the audience is automatically inferring. So they go kind of this like, oh, Cindy. Oh, Paul. Oh. And then later, before she leaves. When Paul says to Joe, basically, I asked her out and she wants to get with me. I'm going to date her and fuck her for a while so that she puts in the report that no one was at fault and no one has to pay anything. And then she comes downstairs and says, well, I think we're done here. And by the way, next time you have a private conversation, do it in a place where there isn't a hole in the ceiling. Yeah, learn how holes work, Paul. Yeah, you might want to re revisit that in the book on being human. Uh, but also, that also got an oh from the audience. Like, why is the audience so invested in the ballad of Cindy and Paul? Well, exactly. What are they not invested in? For those audience reactions, where do we not get any sort of reaction from the audience? When Richard Mall comes home early 
from his trip to find his house gone to shit. That should I'm have been you, something weird happened there. You go back and watch this exact oh, part. You think you think that's where they? You said that last week. You think that's where they did something weird, and then he I, has a reaction to it that gets a laugh. But when he walked in the door, they should they should have pulled an audio clip from another TV show and put that in in post. Oh, I agree. There should definitely be gasps. There should have the been whole- a host like a oh fuck. That but. whole segment is a very, very strange. There's there the, the audio is off, the editing is off. It's like Blair just appears by <clears throat> Richard Mull's side inside. It's it it, it it something something wrong happened. There must have been a joke that did not work. My suspicion is that they did some kind of joke where Blair had no idea who Richard Mall is because why would she? <laughs> Um, and then they were probably like Richard Mull's people were probably like, um, we don't like this part where you pretend like he's not super duper famous. Uh, so edit that out. That's my guess. Um, what were you going to say, Matthew? Can I offer this up to you? This is the first time this, uh, this audience, this episode has seen Richard Mall, And you're, you remember the Lucille ball, like entrance he made the first time. I wonder if they had to cut out the applause to see him if the audience applauded when they saw him rather than the idea of, ooh. Hmm. That's you an interesting theory. You think they would have filmed them both at the same time? You think they would have filmed this over two weeks? I, I would hope that sometime they would have said to the audience, this is the first time you're seeing Richard Mall," or maybe that was just the audience reaction to seeing him again i don't know i'm just throwing that out there as a theory oh that maybe there was applause and later they went you know this doesn't make sense that they would applaud his entrance right. here right that's that's certainly possible it is and maybe they did do it over two weeks i don't but who the fuck am i i don't know anything there are a lot of rules about how much how many scenes you can shoot like normally when i've done multicams like it really depends on the multicam like i did uh, a parker posey one that we would shoot until like three in the morning because she just couldn't remember some of the lines because they were big, dense speeches. Um, and then like I did like a Whoopi Goldberg one where Whoopi wants to get home and be in bed with her cheese doodles at nine at night. So it's like, mm-hmm. we are going to whip through this. So it's possible that, you know, splitting the difference, they probably were done around 11 at night if they were just doing one episode. So they could have possibly had to do this over two weeks. Maybe. That being said, they could have also just been like, this is a special one with special effects in a flooded house and this is all going to be pre-taped and we're just going to like show it to an audience and record their laughter that way. Oh, oh, that's true. They could pre-tape it and then get the live do, do an Archie Bunker's place there. Yeah, or at least like the stuff that's in the wet apartment because it has like a before and after. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of different possibilities there. I, I think it's most likely that the stuff uh, in the wet apartment didn't have an audience. That's my uh, uh, And then they just like played it for the audience that was there for the rest of it, like in the order of events. Mm. And then they recorded those laughs. So that's oh. my guess, but I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Can we talk about Natalie tanning using tinfoil? Well, uh, dude, get out of my brain. The next thing I was going to say is a lovely visual gag that they do not draw any attention to. It's a visual gag. Tootie has one of those reflective 
foil things under her face while they're tanning and it pans over to Natalie and she has a roll of aluminum foil and uh, hilarious. Yes, I enjoyed it too, but it's always like, it's always Natalie who has to be so low rent. <laughs> um, so at this point, of course, the girls are home. Joe has been taken off to the doctor. That's where we conveniently have Joe not there. So Richard Mall comes in again to no reaction. Uh, they all try to reason with him. And he's, of course, who the fuck are you? Get out of here. And finally, um, he calls and says, uh, and again, they act like, oh, God, and he might hurt us. Oh, he's a, and I'm just like, he, he says, get out. Yeah. And then Tootie laughs in his face and says, we can't get out. Where are we going to go? Yeah. I, you just saw all of Los Angeles. Was there's not one spot that you could sit for an hour? <laughs> like <laughs> Until Joe say, got back? Hey, yeah. When Joe comes back from the doctor, let her know we went to this park. Because yeah. we don't want to go to jail. But no, they decide to sit there and wait for the cops to come that Richard Mull just explicitly said, I'm going to call them and they're going to come pick you up. And they're like, okay, we'll just wait for them. And then they'll arrest us. And that yeah. sounds good. Well, what the fuck? And then when we get back from commercial for the rest of the episode, Beverly Ann, Blair, Tootie and Natalie are in jail. Please. Someone explain to me why. Because they wouldn't get out of his house. Yeah. But when you get taken off to jail, you get booked, you get all that stuff, but then typically you post bail and then you then you have the trial for the charges. Yeah, but it's not the like they have a millionaire with them who can post bail for them. They need Joe to come and vouch for them. That's the only Thank way they you. can get out of it. That's what I'm leading. That's what I'm getting to. It's like you the idea is you're usually the in jail waiting on someone, or I can't get in touch with this person. What a, what a conundrum I'm stuck behind these bars. It's usually because you don't have the money to post your own bail and you can't find somebody who will put up the money for you. And it's Blair. Hello. What is yeah. the, okay. So you're with me here. I'm, I was, if there was some other type of explanation as to why they would be quote unquote trapped and stuck there and unable to leave, I can't figure it out. None of it makes sense. Let's just wait for the cops to come pick us up and go to Thank jail you. and then not be bailed out by Blair's endless amount of money. And she's just going to ask for champagne because she doesn't know where the hell she is. Yeah. Um, and also, um, I, just, I do want to one well-phrased line from Beverly Ann was, I once ran afoul of the local constabulatory back in Appleton. Con or constabulary. Like, I just love this. This is so strange. Like we've talked a, a bit about the language of the dialogue they write for Cloris Leachman, where they're literally writing it for Phyllis Lindstrom. They're literally saying what she does best is florid, fussy talk. Yeah, and the the I mean, example that was I hilarious. The, I'm not sure I'd go with hilarious. <laughs> no, it uh, was because it was thrown away. It was similar similar to the bilge pump where it was not really meant for the <laughs> audience. It was just meant for 
one guy in the writer's room or something. Like, yeah. I once I'm, ran afoul of the uh, local constabulary back in Appleton. I'm not like, sure that's bilge punt funny. I'm just going to say it. I don't think it is. But all right. Fair. The line of Beverly ends before Blair is having her all night study session in the uh, episode. Uh, what is it called? This is only a test. Uh, the others are all going off to a spa weekend, but Blair and Joe opt to stay. Blair has to study and Joe says, I'll stay and I'll help her. Because, you know, because we hate each other, as you're going to continually hear throughout season nine, episodes one and two. Well, uh, Beverly Ann, as they're leaving, turns to Blair and says, uh, well, good luck with the studying, Blair. And Blair, since I'm not available to lend my personal support, I brought you this book of inspirational quotes. And I'm like, since I won't be available to lend my personal support. What it's like, who the fuck talks like that to someone they live with? What what is that language? I want I like to imagine that Cloris Leachman just like Cloris Leachmanified her <laughs> lines. Cause I feel like she, she like they're not gonna tell her no. She's Cloris Leachman and she's doing seasons eight and nine as a favor for someone. There's mm, Whatever she wants to do, let her do it. And and we're lucky she's showing up to set every day. And so I think I think that it's her. I think she's because because it is it's it's good in a way that these writers aren't. Uh, I, I, here's here's my thing. Not saying that the writers aren't good. Oh no, they're not. Don't worry. You're not insulting me when you say they're not. Just they're not good like that. They're not Fraser writers. Uh, here's a, here's a really big picture thing that I've also put forth. We already had a mother figure in Mrs. Garrett and the girls were young. Knowing that they were all adults except for Tootie and Tootie was literally a year away from turning 18. Why did we feel the need to bring in this other older maternal figure? I would have loved it if they made Beverly Ann the complete opposite of Mrs. Garrett. Make her be the the free spirit the hippie mrs garrett we know was kind of conservative a little bit religious but forward thinking and feministic but why not have beverly ann show up a fucking mess and the I'm girls have to be her keeper my apologies sir but i thought that's what they were doing <laughs> no i don't I, maybe it wasn't that successful but she's a mess she like she drives into the show and nearly kills everybody putting her giant house car on a cliff oh and yeah oh yeah everything oh yeah that she says is bananas and she's never helpful she's left out of so many conversations and people do i feel like if the show is gonna last like 12 13 years that's where it was headed was like these girls are going to have to help this old lady in her doddering senior years. Um, so I, I don't think that Beverly Ann offered any kind of Mrs. Garrett, like support to these girls. Um, she was just an old taking up the bedroom that Mrs. Garrett and old <laughs> and old. Uh, I, they, they didn't take it far enough. I'm not I'll saying she that. is Mrs. Garrett, but they did not take it far enough. And then, but then we get into the, the the dialogue. We were just talking about this 
fussy dialogue. Like, you know, her saying, I once, what did she say? She out. She out, ran afoul of the local constabulary. I ran afoul of the local constabulary. This is where you want her to, no, I want her to be like Meredith or Creed from The Office, where they're like, you know, this is that time that Wino gave me a nickel telling me that I could pick up some crack for him around the corner. I mean, I took the nickel. I've done a lot more for a lot less, let me tell you. You know, th- I mean, we know I mean, Cloris I- Leachman was batshit crazy. We know it was there. They, they, they didn't have, I mean, that's the thing. It's not like, well, this was really asking her to go. Cloris Leachman was bat fucking shit. So that's my, that's my big picture, big thoughts about, I still don't quite get what she's doing here. Why she would have, you know, it's like, our friend Joe is out in California. Let's go. Let's go. Let's just jump on a plane and go hang out with her. And let's bring Beverly Ann. <laughs> would you have brought Beverly Ann? Yes. yes. I love Beverly Ann. I've loved her. I, since I was love a kid. Cloris Leachman. I do not love Beverly Ann. I do. I do. I just do. <laughs> I think David, what you want, or maybe, I don't know. Did you want them to go with a, uh, like a Alice ghostly and designing women character for her. Oh no, no. I, I see. Cause I black see man, black man, right. Black man. Yeah. Well, don't go there, but like wearing a Christmas skirt, kind of, kind of Alice ghostly. But like, my thing is like, she, they kind of brought her in as like an, a wacky aunt character. You know what I mean? Who does make mistakes. Unlike Mrs. Garrett, who never made one mistake in her entire life. We've talked about that. Who does make mistakes, who hasn't figured everything out. So now they're just five adult women that haven't figured anything out. So, so I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as mad at Beverly Ann, but I agree with you, Dominic, in that I think they were like a couple times this season and last the words, how many Oscars do you have? Um, <laughs> how many how many Emmys for comedy do you have were said on this set? Well, she said, you know, what? I'm gonna say this line like this. I don't even think that she had to say that. I think that <laughs> this job was like with the understanding, like, you're right. holy shit! How did we get Cloris Leachman to do these last two seasons? Oh, she has a funny way she wants to say that line. Yes, Cloris, by all means, constabulary yeah. it away. <laughs> yeah, well. But you do agree that it was Cloris Leachman that said, you know what? I'm going to hold these paper towel rolls like they're my tits. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. That's that's what I I wanted more of that. I wanted her to be uh, a worldly woman with a lot of like all of the stories were, you know, like she says, she started this whole thing of Beverly Ann as a storyteller and the girls are like, oh, God, someone kill me. You know, Natalie's like, can I volunteer for solitary confinement? Like, it's like, Jesus Christ, would she shut the fuck up? Is kind of the the role that she plays in the girls. I think it would be better if she had stories that made them all go, what? you what? You, yeah. you, you took a dump in a tuba? What? You know? But I feel like she's got some crazy stories, but I, my brain is not tuned to the Beverly Ann years just yet. They're 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 just not. They just don't. They just don't go far enough with it. And that's that's my thing. If if they ever reboot the Facts of Life, and they want to do a not a Mrs. Garrett thing, they want to do a Beverly Ann thing. They need to get like they should get Kate Flannery to just fucking play it as Meredith. I mean, that would mm. be hilarious. 
There's another redheaded maternal figure right there. Okay. All right. Let's back to the episode. My God. My God. By the way, the second cop, we talked last week about how we have a different cop here now. So they can't get out of jail where they don't belong and shouldn't be compelled to stay because that other cop who could vouch for them as friends of Joe Polnicek's, whom he knew was house-sitting for Richard Mall, he's away, like we said, camping. But we get to check check mark the sitcom trope of the whole cast going to jail. Yeah, exactly. Sitcom trope, yeah. Yep. Which we've done already. We did that in season two, episode two. We did. We sure did. Yep. The new girl, uh, part two. Joe also learns that Richard Mull needed a tranquilizer. Yeah, that's that. Okay, that feeds into this other thing. I'm like, did he really? Did he? It seems so chill, but apparently there was a yeah. doctor there to administer his tranquilizer, according to Bell Headed Cindy. Yeah, um, but I, I and, think that uh, speaking of things that didn't get taken as far as they needed to, they they could have had him play a ridiculous monster version of himself, and yeah, then at the end it would have been himself. much you can funnier. Still have Richard Mole guest star, and he can be evil, not Richard Mole as himself. If you really yeah. wanted, yeah, he could be that famous actor from that show, Lon Jarrett. Yeah, yeah, exactly from from uh, Day Court from. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but okay. So here's where my other big laugh comes. Go for it. it. It is the second racist Tootie joke. Oh, good. I, I can't find it in my notes where, Oh, oh I did so find. Okay. Yes. yes when yes, go, please, Blair please. calls from jail and says, things have improved since Tootie stopped singing sweet, low, swing low, sweet chariot. I mean, but like, also like that is so Tootie. And it is so tooty to annoy everybody with it. So I like it. It made me very happy. I did laugh is inappropriate. And I shouldn't have laughed. <laughs> um, it's not right. Uh, it it is not I, right. But uh, yeah, I'm not saying it isn't funny. I'm with you there. <laughs> I, but particularly just the fact that Blair's like jail's gotten better since Tootie stopped singing just in general makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, then Joe says she's going to bail them out as soon as she can. And Blair asks Joe about the cast and her romantic opportunities with Paul. And then Joe goes, the longer you talk to me about me, the longer you rot in jail. And Blair's like, okay, cool. Bye. Hangs mm-hmm. up. And then Joe has no hustle. That None. turned out to be not true at all because she just sits there and she's waiting for Cindy to be done. And she's going to have a whole thing with Paul. No, she's nowhere near on her way over there. She could have talked to Blair about her love life for another 20 minutes, and it would have not affected how long she's letting her friends rot in jail, her words. You are so right. There's, yeah. They could have played the scene with the, okay, well, I got to get going. Well, the, well, the adjuster is to, well, you could deal with, can you deal with her? Oh, I'll deal with her. All right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah they could have that could have been uh played up, but you're right. That's that's where that whole scene is with the adjuster with Paul, and then Paul saying, Hey, I'm gonna be a dick bag shit stain asshole dude, and basically show you what an unethical prick I am and how I use women. At which point, thankfully, this is where Joe's like, and now I know my decision. This thank you, you've helped me make my decision. Yeah, I mean, it was shocking. I got to give the guy credit, though. The fact that he would even let Joe in on this plan is kind of demented. 
it's true. And again, not that fuckable. Really, dude? You could get that other woman in addition? Really? Okay. No, Richard Mall. No. <laughs> that conversation was about the fourth time in the episode where I wrote down, Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah. Seriously. Everybody's unscrupulous here. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's an asshole. Everything's expensive. Everybody has a view of fucking the ocean. Everybody lives in Malibu. Mm hmm. I love so, when Joe's like, You're going to bribe her. And he's like, Not bribe her. Well, not with money, with my cock. Like, yeah, whoa. Well, exactly. Exactly. And Joe's like, um, I thought you only wanted me on that cock but oh oh earlier when um uh, the, the girls are before richard mall comes back and the girls are hanging out with the tinfoil and the things at one point it's like where is joe i mean we, they know she went off to the doctor but it's like well where is joe why is she taking so long and natalie says she's with paul what do you think yeah and it's like okay so we're, we're presuming they went somewhere to fuck the hospital yeah, on, on a gurney why not Hey, who of us hasn't? Come on. They, they make it like a threesome, but with that skeleton that's hanging on the wall. And so it's like not really cheating. You just <laughs> put the skeleton hands on the boob. <laughs> oh, bless. So a little bit. So now we're sorry. I had to jump back to that. But now we can jump back forward to this final scene where Richard Mall shows up uh, just as Joe shows up. And uh, very and Joe, once again, not nearly as deferential or apologetic as one would think a person should be. For this sure. is the first time they are laying eyes on each other since his house has been trashed. There should she should be, there should be pleading, there should be hands in in a supplication mode. She should be like that. But Joe was like, hey, Mr. Ma, look, yeah, your house is fucked up, and I'm sorry about it. Uh, I'll pay for it there. I said, I'll pay for it. And I said, I'm sorry. What the fuck else you want me to do? And it's like, uh, it's there's true. a she lot more you could do, girl. You could suck. <clears throat> this yeah, he literally says that. He's like, but you can be says, my love slave. Now, this is interesting. This was cut from syndication. He first says, you can be my indentured servant. Yes. He's like, uh, did, what? What? I have That's a leather and latex and a leash fetish. So, <laughs> but then he says, "Be my love slave," and then she's like, "And then step on, my, step on my balls with your cast, with your flats, <laughs> and your Donald Duck foot." I have a medical fetish and a domination fetish. This <laughs> is blowing my mind. Oh my god! But the fact that in the syndicated version, it's like. Well, I don't know what else I could possibly do. And he just goes, be my love slave. Like it goes right there, which is just creepy. I mean, I mean, that that's what it's like. You, you don't even, I mean, yeah, Dominic, Dominic said, he's like, okay, I'll, I'll fucking trash your house again. If that's what it takes. Yeah, we're done. I will pay you back. Mr. Mall. <laughs> that could have been perfect. The end to that scene. Bye girls. And they walk, yeah. she walks up with him. Walks up exactly. Be but, my love slave. Bye, girls. Yep. Okay. Done and dead. Yeah, mm. I can't believe he was like, "Can you do? Are you good for five hundred dollars?" Like, because Richard Mall is a kind, wonderful human being. 
It's just that kind and wonderful. Just cover the 500. Really? I know. Exactly. It's like, he's like, well, is that, is that going to like, is that going to work for you? Is that going to be okay? The and writers you're homeless still, and I'm on night court. The writers still need the young girl audience to know that sometimes it doesn't pay. You have yeah. to, there has to be something that yeah. the consequences yeah. learn your lesson. Don't go flooding celebrities homes. Right. But the fact is, he says, is that going to be okay for you? I did want her to say, uh, because it's not okay for you, you can't cover $500? Yeah. Really? Nah, yeah. It's not okay for me. Fuck yeah. off. It's okay. Bye. Oh, yeah. I'll get it out of my nightstand in my bedroom, which, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't have because I'm fucking homeless. Yeah. But let's uh, not acknowledge my millionaire best friend. No, not at all. Let's leave her behind bars. Again, why they can't get out of their own volition, we do not know. But the joke is, it's all good and fine and dandy. Joe and Richard settle up, at which point the cop is like, okay, so what about your friends? Yeah. And Joe goes, never seen him before in my life. Bye. Peace out, bitches. Mm -hmm. And then we don't have season nine. Yeah. Season nine is them trying to escape. It's like prison break, but with half break. I'm so glad you're here, Dominic, for this next scene because it's our 200th episode. And it's so joyous to share this with another super fan who appreciates it. Big moment. Do you know what we're talking about? Do you know? I think uh, I, I'm assuming I know what Matthew said. Do you know what we're talking about? The next scene? The kitchen? Yes. Seeing the kitchen? We have never seen that kitchen before. Ever. Not since over our heads. Edna's edibles, we've seen the kitchen there, of course, but of course. it has been two complete seasons, season seven and eight. We have never set foot or seen this set. Pretty exciting. We get to see the kitchen, David. Couldn't you just shit? That's entrance number three to this ginormous house. Uh, exactly. There's so many. And now a staircase. There's also a back staircase that was never there before. Yeah, yeah I appreciate spend that. On that post-fire renovation. On this Winchester mystery house of a fucking house they live in. <laughs> it, it is so true. So, yeah. But uh, basically, this kitchen scene is once again back to Blair going, oh, Joe's not here. So, uh, and it's like, wait, what? She stayed? And they say, yeah, she stayed. She stayed out there to give it another shot. So they think. After all of that? Exactly. And then Blair is like, ah, so she's not here and blah, blah, blah. Isn't it great? It's like, come on. Stop that. Just stop it. This oh, Blair and Joe, I, we hate each other. Oh, I'm, I'm just tired of it. It's so old a hat. It is so beneath where their relationship has gone. But also, I do think that the fact that Blair has decided to have some cereal in her silk shoulder padded belted dress is fantastic. <laughs> we we don't know what kind of cereal it is because there's two big black lines over the words frosted and flakes, which is <laughs> which is hilarious because I watched an episode of the food that made America and cornflakes is not a trait is not a trademarkable name. No. So but frosted flakes. <laughs> they could have used a box of cornflakes <laughs> and not given a dime to anybody. But it <laughs> had to be fucking frosted flakes. You also can just you can just change one letter on that. 
Like, you don't need to just scribble it out like a crazy person. Like, oh, Andy was coloring our cereal boxes before he went to camp. Like, well, this is just crazy. Yeah. There was one where, what was it, Matthew, that they did? It was um, Fiber One. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Fiber One. Fiber One. Yeah. Tootie was eating a, a box of Fiber On. They covered the E and nothing else. And we're like, what? Do you think we don't? That's good. I like fiber on. It's better than fruit oops, which I also saw on this show. Fruit once. oops. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. So Joe shows up. Joe's moved back. Oh my God. Why did you move back, Joe? And Malibu was full of beautiful blonde people, and all they did was talk about themselves. It was like being in an entire city full of blares. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. So you went to go live with the source? <laughs> Thank you. It's like, uh, yeah, and since I hate Blair as much as I do, I'm going to move back home with Blair. Yeah, that's it. Where, where I share a bedroom with her. But Thank you. It's like, oh, anyway. So, I mean, things were not going well in uh, California. She was homeless. She was in jail. She was dating a serial cheater. She uh, was going to be in debt to uh, Hollywood royalty Richard Mull. Things were terrible. She lost a job and a boyfriend that she moved out there with. And we're not even speaking of. So that stuff must have really gone down in that time. I don't blame her. Plus, this way she gets to be closer to Beverly Ann, who we all know is the best. But we don't be, but we, I, I took that line as you guys saw my life out there. I'm going to make up the reason it's the, he, oh, these are the stupid. She's just good at sitcom lying because yeah. if that, if Tootie had delivered that line, it would have been like, well, it's, it's all, a, it's a town of Blair's. Yeah. And there's <laughs> just nuts and, nuts and, and slushy street. You know, whereas I think Joe was kind of like, you saw the shit show my life was, of course yeah. I'm back. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe I, I think I'm going to open up the store today. Maybe if we sell something, uh, oh, no, I might be able to something. generate an income. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Have your old fireman calendars, the Langley swim team calendars. <laughs> That's so true. And that brings us uh, to the end of the two part season premiere to season nine. Yes, we thought we had lost Joe at the end of season eight, but no, right. no. Thankfully, in true comedy fashion, everything is back as it was when it started. Our four girls, Beverly Ann and Andy was allegedly being picked up from camp. So he's going to be back where we are back to where we started. All is good and right in the folk you. Can I be the first to invite Dominic back be this season? And we promise a regular episode is not disinvolved. It's true. I, I would fan, be happy I like to come back. I would be honored. You don't have to block four hours of time for a regular episode. Yeah, no, no. We can we can knock it out in an hour and a half. Really, we can. Oh, I trust Maximum. you guys. I would love it. Uh, you let me know. Okay. No, it would be great. This has been so much fun, like Matthew said, to have a super fan where we don't need to explain to you who Pippa is, where we you know and understand the WTFness of this kitchen and the architecture. Oh yes. How it fits in. And and why is it so beautiful brown and it looks like the old Edna's edibles? Why is it so for for the freaking 
rich wood tone. Yeah, with the rich Corinthian leather tones versus the the color splash of everything else in the house. It's just like this. This does not fit. This is so weird. It is. I loved it. I was excited to see it. <laughs> well, first time, and it won't be the last. So with that, Dominic, we just want to say thank you so much. I would love to have you back. We will definitely be in touch about that. And until then, smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Goodbye. Okay, I love you. What? <laughs> There you have it. That was Dominic Rothbard. I went on a little happy jaunt laughing at his reference to the Bell haircut from the 1980s. And uh, I was editing and realized he mentioned it last week and somehow I missed it. I just wasn't paying attention. And so uh, anyway, I'm glad he said it again, just in case you're wondering why it's weird that I only reacted to it the second time. Well, now you know why. It was it was not the sound of my own voice, so I probably just wasn't listening. Anyway, it was great to have Dominic here with us again for part two. You can hear him and his friend Britt Lundborg on the Facts of Facts podcast. The link is in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. They are currently on hiatus, but he is hoping to be back to it really soon. And in the meantime... You have five whole seasons of shows you can listen to of his, now that you've already listened to ours. Anyway, next week we're going to be watching Season 9, Episode 3, Rumor Has It. You can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in this week's show notes and on the episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show, and remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>